temptation and identity are inextricably connected. The two really go hand in hand with one another. For example, you can tell a lot about a person based on how they react to temptation. And there's a really good example of this. There's a a British game show where the show begins with a series of about six contestants. And in each round, they play a certain game, they win a little bit amount of money, and then the contestants have to decide which of the other players they will vote out of the show, which means they can no longer be part of the winnings of the money. And so gradually, each round, more and more people are kicked off the show, and the money starts to become bigger and bigger and bigger until there are only two players left in the game. And the two players are then given a choice. Two golden balls are each put in front of them. And in each little ball, they can open it up, and it has a word in both of those balls. And here's what each of them say. One ball says, split. The other ball says, steal. Now, here are the rules for the final game. Both players do not know what the other player is going to choose. So they have to try and guess what the other person is thinking. Now, if both players decide to split, they each take half of the money. Both of them get to go home with something. But let's say one player chooses split and the other player chooses to steal. The person who steals, they get all of the money and the person who splits gets none of it. Now, if both people are greedy and both players choose steal, no one gets the money. It goes right back to the game show and no one gets anything that they've worked hard for. And you can find out a lot about people based on how they react whether they're willing to split the money or whether they want to be selfish and try and steal it. There's an option given to them where the temptation is to take all the money for yourself. And you have to try and determine what kind of person is this that I'm up against. Are they the kind of person who's going to try and steal the money from me or are they someone who's willing to split it? And there are lots and lots of uh, very interesting ways this game has ended. Uh, For example, one time there was this elderly man And he just starts crying. And he says to the young woman that he's with, just split the money. Let's please split the money. He says, I promise you, I'm going to choose to split the money. And the lady, she starts to have some tears as well. And she says to him, they better not be crocodile tears. I hope you're really going to split with me. And he keeps telling her, yes, yes, I'll split it. I'll split it. There's no way I'm going to steal. And so they reveal their choices. The man, he opens up his ball and it says he's going to split the money. And the lady, she opens up hers. What do you think it said? Steal. She stole all the money. She was the one who said, oh, I hope those are genuine tears. And falling down her tear, yes, yes, I'll split it. Steal. She took all the money. And the poor man is so broken. He just puts his head on the table in front of him and he says nothing. And the game show host says, all right, we'll be back next week. And it's terrible to watch. But there's another example where a man straight away, he says, I promise you I'm going to choose to steal. And the other player just thinks to himself, why would you tell me that? This is a very unusual tactic. And he says, but here's the trick. I'm going to steal the money, but after the show, I'm going to split it with you. So he says, if you pick split and I pick steal, we'll split the money 50-50 after the show. But he says, I can't do it now. I'm going to choose to split. 
Well, the other player is obviously very confused. He says, well, if you're going to split the money with me, why not just choose split now? Why don't we both just do it? And the other player says, no, nope, I'm going to steal. No matter what you say, I'm stealing. I hope you know that. And so the very confused player, he talks to the game show host and he says, is he obligated to give me the money after the show? And the game show yeah, the host says, nope. The only legal thing happening is right here, right now. And if he takes it, it's his. He has no obligation to share the money with you afterwards. And so you're trying to think, what kind of person is this? And so the first, the very confused player, he reveals that he's chosen to split. And the other player has also chosen to split. In fact, what the other player was trying to do was determine if the other player was honest. So there's this constant back and forth, back and forth of trying to figure out what kind of person are you up against? And what will that person decide when given the temptation to either do the right thing or the wrong thing? Temptation really is often directed to us in the form of a question. And these same choices of doing the good thing or the right thing or the wrong thing are perfectly demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And we see again this theme of identity and temptation going hand in hand. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3, and we'll see how Jesus also, in his ministry and in his life on earth, also struggled with this tension between identity and temptation. Matthew chapter 3. So uh, it's the very first book of the New Testament, right after the book of Malachi. It's about two-thirds through your Bible, and it's Matthew chapter 3. This is very, very early on in the story of Jesus. In fact, it's, we're about to read the story of the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of his mission on earth. We're in chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 13. And we're going to read a little bit of a big chunk of, of scripture, but it's going to be our main scripture we read, we read through. And we're going to unpack it a bit. So we'll begin in verse 13. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. Now when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, God from heaven speaks to the people listening. And he says, Jesus' ministry, his mission that he is about to begin is one that I approve of. This is my son. This is his identity. This is who he is. And I'm well pleased in the ministry and mission that he is about to begin. And then we continue on to the very next story. What happens right after Jesus uh, begins his ministry? Let's start in the beginning of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. 
But Jesus answered and said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is the very first thing that Satan says to Jesus in his temptation? If, if you are the Son of God. And what was the very thing that God had just said about Jesus at his very baptism? This is my Son. This is the Son of God. So right here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan is trying to undermine it by questioning Jesus' very identity. Saying, are you really the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, then do X, do this thing for me. And so Satan is immediately attacking and undermining the very identity which God had conferred onto Jesus. We go to the next temptation in verse 5. The devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the temple. And he said to him, if, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written that he will give his angels charge over you. In their hands they'll bear you up. Your foot won't even dash against a stone. And Jesus again says, it is written, you will not tempt the Lord. Again, Satan tries, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself off the temple. The angels will come and pick you up. Satan attacks that identity again. And in the third and final temptation, Satan does it again. In verse 8, the devil took Jesus up onto an exceedingly high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, notice Satan doesn't explicitly say the words, if you are the son of God there. But there is a, a clear overtone here in this temptation. Notice what is the temptation to worship Satan. Now, if God, Jesus who is God, were to worship Satan, that would effectively be God passing over the title uh, and the position of Godhood. God is the ultimate and supreme being. People worship him. God does not worship other people. And so for God to acknowledge someone higher than himself would be to undermine the very identity of God. And so Jesus replies again by saying, Away with you, Satan, for it is written... That you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Three times Satan tries to undermine the divinely given identity and title of being the Son of God, which God had given to his Son, Jesus. But notice as well that a huge component of Jesus' identity is that ministry and mission of his. And the mission of Jesus was to save sinners. It was to reclaim this world from the grasp of Satan, to redeem his people. It was effectively to become the proper and true representative of this earth instead of Satan. And so notice that Satan, he tries and tricks Jesus into taking a shortcut road to achieving that mission, or by using a cheat way of doing it. Jesus knew that his mission and his ministry would lead him to the cross. That ultimately was where all of this was going to culminate and build up to. Jesus suffering on a cross for the sins of the world. And so Satan comes with an alternative. He says, look, look at the whole world. I can give you the world right now. 
that's the plan, isn't it? That's the mission, to, for you to get back the world. I can do that to you. I can give it to you right now and you can avoid the cross. You can avoid all that suffering and pain if you bow to me right now. Satan tries to give Jesus a shortcut way to achieving his ministry of redeeming the world. And so really we see Jesus again is presented with a similar situation. This temptation is given to him. Will he choose the cross or will he choose to use a cheat? And he rebukes Satan and says, that is not the plan. Get out of here, Satan. And a a quick little acronym for us to remember as we go through these stories uh, is W-A-W. I'm not sure how you want to pronounce it. It it could be wow, it could be wow. It's very similar to wow, so it might be a bit confusing, but it's W-A and W. And these are the three things that Jesus combated Satan's temptation with. He combated it with the word of God. Every time Satan came at him with even twisted scripture, Jesus had a right understanding of the word of God and gave it back to Satan. Uh, Jesus waited in his own good time for the angels to come and minister to him. That's our A, angels. Jesus waited till the very end, and we read in verse 11, that angels came and ministered to Jesus. And when Satan tried to tempt him to preemptively ask angels to come and help him, God said, no, I'm waiting for my own father's time. So he relied on angels and the very will of God. Everything was according to the will of God, that final W, the will of God. And even in verse 1, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was constantly following the directives of his Father. So the will, the, uh, the word, the angels, and the will are the things that Jesus combats Satan with. So then we go to Matthew chapter 16. There are three other examples where Jesus is tempted in the same manner. So let's turn to Matthew 16. And we see this exact same pattern repeated. And because we've uh, established the pattern of what we're looking for, we'll go through these next examples a bit more quickly. Now that we understand this pattern of Satan questioning Jesus' identity and offering a cheat way of achieving the mission. So in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 uh, through to 17, you can have a quick read. I'll summarize. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Or in other words, a question of identity. And the people say, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Others say that you're Elijah or you're another great prophet. And then Jesus starts to hone in a little bit more. He says, okay, so now who do you say that I am? And Peter, he replies in verse 16, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So here Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, You are the Son of God. And then the very next thing Jesus says is he predicts his death and resurrection. And he talks about how he's going to suffer on the cross, how he's going to be persecuted and how he's going to die. And what is Peter's response to this? Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, how dare you say things like that, Jesus? That is, you're not going to do that. Then have a look in verse 23, 1623, what Jesus says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. 
Satan once again here is trying to tempt Jesus into taking the cheat way of achieving the mission. Jesus says, the way that I will achieve this is by suffering and dying on the cross. And Satan works through Peter and says, no, that is not the right thing, Lord. That is not what you're supposed to do. And once again, Jesus combats it by abiding in his father's will. He knows that the mission is going to end in the cross. And so he rebukes Peter. Now, I think what's actually so scary about that text is that in one moment, Jesus, uh, Peter speaks things given to him by God. And then literally a minute later, he's speaking things influenced by Satan. That's a very quick shift, isn't it? Blessed are you, Peter. God has revealed this to you. And a minute later, Satan was able to use Peter to try and tempt Jesus again. That's a very quick change, isn't it? And I I think we do well to think about that. And then we see uh, in right after this, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And God says again, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God again reiterates this fact. So twice now, Jesus has had God himself say, this is my son. And twice now, Satan, right after these events, has come up to Jesus and questioned if he is the son of God and provided instead a different way of achieving the mission that God had given him. Then we read that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is struggling again with the temptation. He's questioning it. He's saying, God, do I really have to go through this? And then ultimately he says, your will over my will. He follows God's will again. And I find it interesting as well that uh, when Jesus is arrested, Jesus says, I could have a legion of angels here if I wanted, but I'm not going to. Again, this, this repetition of the theme of angels keeps coming up, which is interesting. But then ultimately we've had the three temptations so far. And the fourth temptation happens... At the cross. And uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the Desire of Ages because I believe uh, the words here summarize and capture the scene any, much better than I could. So here is what the, the words say about Jesus' final temptation on the cross and his final questioning of his identity. The enemies of Jesus vented their rage upon him as he hung upon the cross. Priests, rulers, and scribes joined with the mob in mocking the dying Savior. At the baptism and at the transfiguration, the voice of God had been heard proclaiming Christ as his son. Again, just before Christ's betrayal, the Father had spoken, witnessing to his divinity. But now, the voice from heaven was silent. No testimony in Christ's favor was heard. Alone he suffered abuse and mockery from wicked men. If thou be the Son of God, they said, come down from the cross. Let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, let him come off that cross. In the wilderness of temptation, Satan had also declared, if thou be the Son of God. Of God. Satan, with his angels in human form, were present at the cross. The archfiend and his hosts were cooperating with the priests 
and the rulers. Religious rulers united with Satan and his angels. The final temptation and questioning of Jesus is given at the cross. If you are the Son of God, get off the cross. And again, Satan, present there with his angels, is saying these things. And really, what are they trying to persuade Jesus to do? To not achieve the mission the way that God wanted it. To give an alternative, a cheat way. Surely, if you're the Son of God, you can come down off that cross. This isn't what God wants, surely. Jesus' identity is questioned and attacked and undermined again and again and again. And yet, Jesus never gives in to the temptations that are put before him. I think it's incredibly profound to think that the time where Jesus most needed for God to say those words, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, there was complete silence. This was the time where Jesus was the furthest away that he could be from God as all the sins of the world were on him. And all of the people are mocking Jesus and are telling him to get off that cross if he really is the son of God, if he's the Christ, the king of the Jews, get off that cross. And the amount of pain that Jesus would have been in is so crazy to think about. And then it makes me think about times where I've gone through temptation. And all the times that I fail in temptation, maybe because, you know, I didn't sleep well enough. Or I'm a little bit hungry and a little bit angry now. And I think, wow, in comparison, my, my weakness in falling into temptation compares nothing to the temptation which Jesus overcame on the cross. Jesus' death... On that cross was the fulfillment of the mission which God gave him. And even at his lowest moment where God could not affirm his divine identity and ministry, Jesus continued strong. So now we want to know what does this mean for us? That watching the pattern of Jesus' life, this questioning, this temptation and this overcoming of temptation, how does this relate to us? Well, think about the context of the great controversy that we're all in, this struggle or this battle between God and between Satan. What is the main question in this great controversy we are all in? Who is God? What is the character of God? Is God loving or is he unloving? Is he selfish or is he selfless? It's all about the identity of who God is. Think about the very first question which Satan ever asked humanity. He went up to Eve in the Garden of Eden and what did he say? Did God really say that? Implicit in there, or even explicit really, is a questioning of God's identity. Because it undermines God's identity by saying, God is trying to keep things from you. God is selfish. God does not have your best interests in mind. And Eve decides against God. Really what Eve was presented with, when she was tempted, she was presented with a question. And the question was, who is God? The same question which Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? In the same way that when Jesus was questioned about God's identity during temptation, Eve was as well. Temptation is a question that is posed towards us. Who do you say that God is? 
Now, for Eve, her two options were quite simple. And it's the same, uh, it's the same options that we have as well. Is God a God of love? And, is, uh, and if we choose the option of obeying his law of love, then we say that God is selfless. He does have our best interests in mind. He is wise. He knows what is morally good and what is morally evil. And he is superior to us. That is the answer we give when we decide to act according to God's law of love. Now let's say again, the question is posed to us. Who do you say that God is when temptation comes to us? And if we choose to give in to that temptation, if we choose to then sin against God's law, effectively we are making the statement that God does not have our best interests in mind, that he is unloving, and that really we are a better judge of morality than God himself. Because we've obviously chosen to go against what he has said. I think it's very interesting to think and consider temptation being a question posed to us. Who do you say God is? And our our actions, our decision, is an answer to that. It is a testimony to what we believe the character of God is like. If we obey in accordance to God's law, we are demonstrating to the angels watching and to the world that we live in that this is who we believe God's character is. He is love. And when we do the opposite, we are showing what we believe God to be in a negative way. Temptation is a question posed to us, and we have the opportunity to answer that question. This week I've been considering temptation a lot like that, and I found it to have a profound impact on my spiritual life, because now when I'm tempted, I'm not just thinking about the implications it has on me. I'm not just thinking, well, you know, I can deal with uh, being a, a liar today. You know, I can deal with that label for the day. I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll be fine. You know, hit the reset button. Whatever it may be, the, the focus is no longer on me. I'm no longer thinking about how this sin and how this uh, temptation affects me so much as I am thinking about how it reflects on God. Uh, and that really challenged me during the week. Every time I came across a temptation and I thought to myself, this is a question being posed to me. Who do I say that God is? I felt the burden to answer rightly to that question. I felt challenged and convicted to do the right thing to demonstrate that this is what I believe God wants for me in my life. And this is who I say God is, a God of love. And I think sin becomes more and more unattractive to us when we think about it in that way as well. Because now when we sin, it's not just something that hurts us or maybe hurts some immediate people around us. It's really slandering the name of God and his very character and identity. And that is a very challenging thing to think about. I was thinking to myself, the amount of times in my life where I've been posed that question... And really, it's an opportunity for me to show how loving God is. And instead, I've chosen to show that I think God is unloving. And it can be a little, you know, upsetting if you think about it too long. So go back to the cross where Jesus went through his temptation. Where Jesus was hanging on the cross and he could easily have gone off it where he easily could have spared himself that suffering and pain, and yet he continued through it. And I think it's amazing and incredible that every time I have 
answered incorrectly to this question of temptation. And every time that I've, I've slandered God's name by committing sin, that very sin and that very failure to endure through temptation, Jesus himself bore on the cross. And his temptation was whether or not to take on the failures of my temptation. It's a crazy thing to think about that. Our failures of temptation are laid upon Jesus, and yet he endured his temptation of sparing himself all of that pain. When we look at the cross, we can look towards someone who takes away our failures and encourages us now to no longer answer that question incorrectly, but to answer it in favor of God and in favor of his love. So again, how do we combat this temptation? How do we give the right answer? It comes down to our WOW acronym. We need to be focused on the Word of God. That's the thing that roots us in our connection with Him. We have ministering angels who help us go through these times of temptation and difficulty and trial. And if we're following the very will of God, our answer to this question will always be one in favor of God because we will be wanting to fulfill his will. With these in mind, we can combat the temptations of Satan and rightly answer that question, who is God? When, like Jesus asked Peter, we are asked that same question, who do you say that God is? We can answer correctly and say, God is loving, he has my best interests in mind, and he is my Lord and my Savior. Temptation is a question. And we have the opportunity to give a right answer and to demonstrate the loving character of God in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in our failures of temptation, you bore them on the cross so that we can live a life that shows the great love that you have. Lord, help us through your word, through your angels and through your will to overcome temptation and to rightly answer that question and say loudly and proclaim that you are our God and that you are a loving God who cares for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.